You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you would like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, uh, kind of the middle portion of the chapter. And again, even from the, some of the songs that the worship team chose today, some of the words that Aaron shared, it's about faith today, and it's about not giving up in the faith. And so today's message, don't give up. All right, I think that's fitting. Is that fitting? Do we need that every now and then, folks, right? You ever need a, a, a good spiritual kick in the pants, okay? No, <laughs> um, no it's not that. I think it's more of a, a spiritual side hug and uh, coming along and I'm running with you, okay? So that's what I think the author of Hebrews is doing for us. He's built up this momentous climax in Hebrews 11 and 12 where he's got this entire um, hall of faith or as we talked on Sunday and Easter, this door. You open this door and you journey out onto this race and it's this climax that reaches to looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith for the joy that was set before him, right? He took the cross, despising the shame. And then that is like, boom, we're there in the climax and it's like we're all holding our breath and we leave Easter and then we come to the, Sunday after Easter, and we're like, that's still true, right? But now what do we do? Like, what, do you, what do you do now, right, okay? And so the author anticipates that. And so what we're gonna be doing today, I think, is just looking through uh, what the author, uh, or the preacher, I guess you could say, the preacher of Hebrews, that's what I like to say, because I feel like Hebrews is a sermon. And, and the preacher of Hebrews, what is he telling us here? Well, he's telling us to, to not give up and to keep running, okay? And, and so I think that's what the idea that, I, that I'd like to kind of get across today, this race, this running, and, and what that means, and uh, how that really helps us all no matter where we find ourselves in life. So uh, let, me, let me just pray uh, before we, we kind of jump into the text here. And uh, yeah, we'll get going. Father, we come before you and... Um, we, we are just so humbled and, and happy, I guess you could say, Lord. We're humbled for we examine the greatness of God in front of us, God. And I know uh, I feel very small in your presence. Even coming into this church, what do I have to offer, God? And yet very happy to know, God, that you have encouraged us. You have welcomed us. You have included us. God, you know my name. You know every name of the person in here. And so, Father, you're very akin and you're very aware of our deepest hurts and yet our deepest and most exciting moments in our lives. Lord, everything that makes us human, you are aware of it and you are molding it and maturing us to be more and more like you. God, I pray for this church. I pray for this community of people. Lord, we, you, you have blessed this area, you have blessed this church and these people in so many ways. And so we, we give it back to you. Uh, we, we praise you, Lord, for these things. And God, yet we run to the Father, as we sang earlier. We run into your arms of grace. And so today, God, we stand forgiven. Uh, we stand alive, knowing that you are still alive. Thank you, God, for Easter and the celebration that it is, and even for the Easter season that continues, that reflects and keeps our mind focused on you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Yeah, even as I was praying, I think of the Easter season, right? The 
If you're aware, the Easter season begins on Easter Sunday in the church calendar and ends with the day of Pentecost. Uh, It's actually 50 days of the Easter season, it's called. It ends on the day of Pentecost, and I know the day of Pentecost is June 5th uh, this Sunday. We're having Pentecost Sunday here at the church. It's also my birthday, so that's why I know. So it's a little self-serving. Throw that in there. Okay, Um, June 5th, you know, by the way. Uh, (laughs) So let's let's begin reading in Hebrews uh, 12, verse 3. Last week, we really focused on Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2, and the entirety of chapter 11. So today, it's just verses 3 through 17. Let's look at it here. After he said to look to Jesus to run the race, what does he say in verse 3? Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted, or that word faint-hearted is literally, so that you may not give up and grow faint. Verse 4 says, in your struggle against sin, or in struggling against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. Meaning you're still living, you're still alive, you haven't shed your own blood like Jesus has, so keep fighting. Verse five says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. This is a quote from Proverbs. Nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. For it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are an illegitimate child and not a son. Uh, Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, which seemed good to them, or best to them, But he disciplines us for, get this, he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. That's a key phrase. Verse 11, another key verse, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Ain't that right, right? Okay. Uh, All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Verse 12, and here's the, okay, people, maybe you've ever been here, felt like this, right? Verse 12, therefore lift your drooping hands, right? And strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone. And you could even say strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls or fails to obtain the grace of God and no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it many become defiled. Then he gives an illustration from Genesis about Esau. He says in verse 16 that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward he desired to inherit the blessing. He was rejected and he found no chance to repent and he sought it with tears. And then we'll stop there. Next week we'll look into this idea of the the kingdom that cannot be shaken. This kingdom that we've inherited that cannot be shaken though our hands may feel droopy and weary and our knees may buckle and shake at times as we grow weary. So today is carrying on that theme we, we began with last week. This idea of running a race this endurance, uh, the idea of exercising, this idea of, of feeling within us this desire to run with endurance 
You know, like an endurance athlete. Some of you are actual endurance athletes or have experienced that. Uh, some of you do not enjoy that at all. I mean, maybe if we'll raise a hand, how many of you actually enjoy exercising and enjoy running? Like you just can't wait, you know? And some of you are like, I don't want to raise that because everybody, some of you raising it like, yeah, I'm that kind of person. Glutton for punishment, right? We enjoy it, right? Um, so you people can just leave right now, actually, if you would. Uh, not joking. <laughs> the rest of us may feel obligated to exercise, may feel obligated to run. Uh, some find it enjoying. We enjoy it. Uh, but ultimately, running, exercising, maybe you could even throw like dieting, whatever those things that we don't naturally lean towards, they take a lot of discipline. This chapter 12 talks a lot about discipline. A lot about discipline and training and what it takes to run the race of faith and the endurance of the Christian life. And so I began to think about my own experiences with running. I've started to get into it more and more over the last couple of months, and I've been trying to motivate myself, and each week it's a struggle. I go through this mental battle. And so I wrote this 10 stages of running or exercising that I go through in a mental, con- do, you, do any of you talk to yourselves as well, or is that just me? You know, some of you, do you have, so some of you are nodding your head. You're like, I, I talk to myself regularly. I have an ongoing conversation with myself. I'm like that. Even while I'm preaching, there are times like, Jordan, you can do this, don't quit. You know, it's in the back of my head, right? Um, and, and I have this inner dialogue Some of you even have, maybe with me, you've been blessed with a strong inner critic that is constantly criticizing yourself all the time, right? Well, I have this running dialogue, and especially while I'm running. And so I tried to put it out on paper uh, in a humorous way, but also in a very real way that I feel many times. Uh, There is the 10 stages of running, okay? You ready for this? The 10 stages of running where you begin in certain modes and you go through this mental battle through the different modes till finally you finish the race. Uh, But for me, it usually begins in number one, which is called, I've called it the the pumped up mode. You ever feel that way? Like, I'm gonna go running today. I'm gonna exercise. I got this. And inside you feel confident, maybe a little overconfident, and you feel, I am so sporty, right? You know, I'm gonna go do this. And then immediately begin to run, and you go out, and your body or your mind enters what's called confusion mode. Confusion mode is your body says, what is, what is going on? What, what, what are you doing? You're running? Why are we doing this, right? It's waking up. And then it enters what's called nope mode. Nope mode is your body just starts saying, nope, 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 we're not doing this. Not today, not now. We are not doing this. This is dumb, right? Um, and nope mode quickly goes into what's called quit mode. And this is the key moment because you've got to pass this. Or, and if you don't, it's over. Over very quickly. These modes are very quick at times towards the beginning. Uh, it says, you know, you, you could just turn around right now, your body says. You know, I won't tell anyone. No one will know, right? Just turn around and quit. Nobody will know. And then quit mode goes into exasperated or you could say death mode. Uh, your body starts speaking to you and say, are you, are you sure you know what you're doing? Um, I mean, I'm in real pain here. Your body starts saying, what if, what if we got hurt or pulled a muscle? You could have a heart attack. We're gonna die out here. You know, your body starts screaming at you. Then it enters panic mode. And it says, are you even listening to me? We're, we're literally dying right now. Your entire body hates you for this, right? You're killing us. You're killing us. And then panic mode ascends into number seven, which is pain mode or it doesn't start talking to you, it just starts speaking to you through your pain. It says, basically, you're not listening, so how does this feel? And uh, all of a sudden, you begin feeling different muscles and organs you never knew you had, right? And then you go through pain mode. If you make it through all of that, I think you finally run into number eight for me, which is called run mode. Run mode is you've endured, you've pushed through the critics, you've pushed through the quit mode and all, 
and you're now running in what runners call the zone. It's a very limited time for some of us that we find ourselves in the zone. Probably only like 30 to 40% of my runtime is in this zone. You're just running. You feel fine in regards, and then you come towards the end of your run, and you enter for me what is called guilt mode. Your body starts saying that you're nearing the end of the run, it sees the end coming, and it starts heaping guilt on you. You know, it says this is your fault. You asked for this. Uh, you'll never finish this alive, uh, mostly because uh, you, you better enjoy this run because mostly this is the last run you'll ever die because you're about to die. Uh, you're, the last run you'll ever have because you're about to die right now. And then finally, after all of those, you, you've come to the end, you know? Number 10, winning mode. Winning mode is, is finally why you run. You've finished. The endorphins rush through your bloodstream and you feel like a champion, right? And uh, you, you're like, man, I'm gonna do that again. And then you go to do it again next week or whatever and you realize you have to go through those same mental battles and to fight off the doubts and the critics. And so I know some of you can resonate with that. Others are like, no, I just begin and then I end and it's amazing every time, you know? So, okay. Uh, to, to those of you, we're, we're very jealous. But um, this idea of running a race and enduring the kinds of ups and downs and the mental battles and the challenges that we come and are faced in life is really what it means to be a Christian and to live the Christian life in faith. By faith, right? Hebrews 12, 11, as we read earlier, says that in the moment, all discipline seems painful. <laughs> it does. And, and, and as you're running, many times in that mile two, mile three, it seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So that's kind of the encapsulating verse, I think, for this whole message. It yields something. You push through and endure because of the outcome. And for running or exercise, whatever it might be, the outcome of the discipline and the training produces results that maybe you couldn't see in the moment. You saw the pain or you felt the situation and you can't necessarily see but in faith you endured, by faith you kept running, by faith you didn't quit, you persevered and you saw the finish line, you saw the end eventually as you received what was promised. But in the moment, there's a, it's not as easy, right? It's easier said than done. One of the most common metaphors in the entire Bible for the Christian life or for what it means to, to live in faith as even Aaron was saying earlier, is really running or you could even put competition of some sorts. There's a variety of places speaks about this. 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 1 Corinthians 9. Do you, do you not know that in a race, all runners run? But only one gets the prize? Run in such a way that you get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training or self-control. They do it to get a crown that will last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Uh, Acts 20 says, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only that I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given to me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. There are others. I, I don't have time to read them all today. But you get a, a sampling there in the New Testament specifically speaking about faith as a race. And in particular, one of the most famous ones is the one we focused on last week, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, running the race with endurance, looking to Jesus. 
And so it's this idea where even in the New Testament we have this idea of the, the Greek Olympic Games, the Olympic athletes that prepare and train, they strict train their bodies in such a way in order to run. That word gymnasium that we have today comes from the Greek word gymnasia, which is found in the New Testament, several of those verses that I just read. But this idea that is given to us in Hebrews is telling us to, to not give up. In verse uh, three, Hebrews 12, consider him who endured sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted and so that you may not give up. And so if we remember the context of Hebrews, he's writing to an audience of people who have endured great persecution and hardship. Do you guys remember back in Hebrews chapter 10? Hebrews chapter 10, I think it's towards the end where he talks about the different persecution that this, this group of people that he's writing to have endured. Many of them have endured suffering, hardship, mocking, and, and yet many of them have had, as a, do you remember that phrase? They've had their, their, um, their own property robbed and stolen and yet they rejoiced for they had a better and lasting possession. Do you remember that? They, they've actually experienced real loss, real hardship in life. And many of you have done that as well. You're like, well, maybe not the same way, but we've endured certain aspects of persecution and hardship and suffering. And so, so he's saying this audience is very well aware of what it means to endure and what it means to go through a hard time. And they're at the brink, many of them, of turning back. They're at the brink of saying this is too hard. They're at mile two in step number six of right, pain mode, death mode. And they're like, I don't know if I can keep pushing through this wall. I'm not sure I wanna keep going. Quit mode is coming into my head. Just turn around, go back. No one will know, right? And they're on that edge. They come to that point and the author, preacher of Hebrews is telling them, don't quit, don't give up. He says in verses three and four, really ultimately Jesus died so you can endure and live and conquer in victory to the end. Jesus didn't endure and suffer his way to the cross so that you could give up and quit the race. He endured to give you power to conquer and to go and to run and to look to him. All right, so, I, so I'm not, um, he's also just saying too, like I'm not making light of your persecution or as if it's just something little or nothing. Like I'll just, eh, don't worry about it, it's just easy, right? You know, what's the big deal, you know? And then even in a sense, I, I find it somewhat comical in my own twisted way, but in verse four, it, it is almost as if that's what he says. In verse four, it's like, look, you haven't shed your own blood, so what are you worried about, you know? You're not dead yet, you know? In, in, in Hebrews 11, he shared all the different martyrs, do you remember that? All the different people, but he shared the martyrs, some of which who had been sawn in two for their faith, it says. It's like, what? Right, these crazy stories. And so he's like, look, Jesus hung on a cross and bled and, and died for you. He suffered extreme suffering. He's not making light of your suffering, but he said, in comparison, Consider the sufferings of Christ. Consider how that's actually a blessing that you get to share in the sufferings of Christ. That you get to endure the same things in which he had so that we can find that uh, we, we are linked with him and we, we, we live in him and he lives in us. We now share in his suffering and we then in a way will share in his holiness, it says. So, so he's like, yes, it's gonna be hard. Yes, sin clings to us. Sin is, as it says back in verse one and two, it, it's like sin is easily around us. It entangles us, but shed it off. Run the race. Look to Jesus. So it, it says in verse four, as we mentioned too, this idea uh, in your struggle against sin. I think the CSB says in struggling against sin. 
this is this all-encompassing generalization for the suffering and the hardship and the sinful world around us and the sin flesh that clings so easily to us. It's like Christian life is a wrestling match against these things, a battle, a struggle in which an enduring faith guarantees conquered victory through Christ. But a battle in this already not yet kind of kingdom we find ourselves in is this struggle for sanctification. It is a struggle, but it is one in which we know we win. It is one in which we have power. It is one in which we've been set free from. And so he's asking these questions in a sense, like keep running. Yes, it'll be difficult. Yes, you'll find hardship along the way. Uh, But do not doubt God's goodness in your life. And do not doubt that he has not supplied you the things that you need. Ephesians 6, the whole armor of God. He gives you armor to fight and to resist the devil and to put off the temptations. It's not as if we've already arrived. He says, I'm not that I've already attained, but I press on and keep running. And so it's this battle and this struggle. It's not hopeless. There's faith and hope goes before us and shows us the way. But it is a journey of maturing. It's a journey of growing and strengthening our hunger for righteousness and growing that hunger for these new affections and new desires of the new man so that that our distaste for the flesh and the old sin desires and habits may be put off. We've been given the tools to conquer and and freed from the failing of, of submitting to sin on a constant basis. There is this victorious power. And so that is what he's telling us to run in, to press into, and to trust God through. That sin is coming into our life and it whispers like that little, little voice inside your head when you're running. And just give in, right? Just forget it. Don't keep running. This is too difficult. You know, sin often likes to tell you against the temptation of sin when you face that temptation to simply just sin because it's the easiest way to avoid the temptation, is it not? The temptation is so hard. The temptation is so difficult. So just give in. It makes it way easier, right? That's what it's saying in your head and in your mind. And so he's saying, look, just get over it. Get through it. Get in that way. And it's tough. It's not easy. Cain and Abel are mentioned. In fact, Esau is mentioned in this. But Cain and Abel were mentioned in the last chapter. And in Genesis, it talks about how sin, God says to, to Cain that sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. You must rule over it this way, right? So this is this idea that sin is there crouching at the door, but this power that has been given us as we have conquered, the the chains have been broken. There is this freedom to now run the race and to become a slave of righteousness instead of a slave to our flesh and to the sin. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there isn't a temptation that has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape that you will be able to endure it. 1 John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Galatians 5, 16, but I say walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There is power in this. There is power in the cross. There is victory in this. Jesus says it is finished, but the fact is in that release of sin's dominion that he isn't finished with you yet. He hasn't called you home to be with him. He now empowers you to run the race and to live with endurance and perseverance through it all. Each and every day by faith we persevere, by faith we get up, by faith we endure, by faith we take the next step, by faith we embrace the process of the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit within our life. 
It's a lifetime of yielding to the Spirit work in us and shedding off and hating the sin within us. It is God's will for this journey to take place over our life in Christ as we talk about or we could just say the Christian life. It's a race, it's a process of endurance, building faith in us and shedding off the indwelling sin. The struggle looks like it's been described here like a struggle, like a resistance, like a war, but a war that's won as we still uh, kind of work to stamp out the guerrilla warfare that's happening around us. It doesn't look like it's just over one day, but rather this power that we have, this struggle we have, yes, these are both simultaneously existing. God will preserve our soul if we do not shrink back. We live by faith, we run, we wrestle, all of this. So I think this first point is this idea of just remembering that there is this struggle that exists, but don't give up, don't give up, don't give up, and don't give up when the going gets tough, that's the word, that's the phrase here. Consider the suffering of Christ, remember the sustaining power of grace that he has purchased for you. We must remember that power, that chain has been broken, we are set free, and yet, at the same moment, while we're in that run, while we're enduring the training or the discipline of Christ through the trials and the hardships of life, we have to remember that this is good for us. This is good for us. It's good for you. In fact, it says that in verse uh, 10. It's good for us that we may share in his holiness. And maybe your parents ever told you that. Maybe parents, you tell your kids that. You know, eat, eat this, right? Eat this vegetable. It's good for you, right? Some of you are already guessing that. It's good for you. Here, and you're like, okay, it tastes like cardboard, but apparently it's good for me, right? Uh, I know I try to convince my kids and try to make it, look, it's vegetable, it's fun. It's like a little tree. Eat the broccoli tree, right? You know, and you're like, I don't want to, okay? And it's good for you. Parenting in general, I think, is this ultimate lifelong journey of trying to convince them that these things are good for them, right? Uh, uh, but in some ways, too, it's also parenting in general is, is this way of recognizing that your children and your kids are going to endure pain and hardship and then you cannot shield them from everything. As shielding them in this bubble does not strengthen them. It doesn't strengthen or mature us, maturity, growth, and endurance is learned by enduring the pain and pressing through and learning that aspect of maturing and growth and discipline and training. It's, and so I think that's what the author's reminding them. Look, like in verse five and six, he, he quotes from Proverbs, but he's saying, you good people, have, have you not forgotten? Have you forgotten? Like, look, Jesus is your Lord. And, and as a father, God the Father is going to discipline you. And, and don't you know that, that this is good for you? He's a good father. Have you, not forgo- have you forgotten what discipline says about you and what God says about discipline? Don't take it lightly. Don't, don't act as if it says in verse five here. Don't, don't take discipline lightly. Like it's no big deal. Like it's nothing. Of course, it's difficult. But also, don't grow weary in it. Rather, embrace it. James 1, 2 says, count it all joy. Like be happy, what? Count on all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. He's saying discipline is good for you because it means you're part of the family. You're a child of God. God only disciplines his own children. You don't want me going around disciplining all your children, right? You don't like that when other people try to discipline. It's your job as a parent. God disciplines his own beloved children. And if you're enduring the discipline and the training of God through these times, you can be sure that you're God's child. 
Discipline is good for you because it means God loves you. It says, it says literally here in verse six, for the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. He loves you. Discipline is good for us because it means he loves us. Discipline is good for us because it means you grow to share in his holiness. And that's that journey of a lifetime as he's working in uh, this holiness, his God-like character, the godliness that works within us. And so we come to this word, though, in verse five, really through verse 12, I guess, in a sense, where this word discipline comes up. I, I think it was, I can't remember, it, it made nine times or so it's mentioned in this chapter, a lot, Discipline, discipline, discipline. And I know it's your favorite word. Even some of the kids in here are like, ooh, 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 right? You know, you're, yeah, that's not our favorite. We don't enjoy discipline. We don't even like thinking about it or talking about it. The word discipline, um, what if I used the word like training though? Does that feel a little better for you? You're like, oh yeah, training. I get that. In fact, you can say, well, I'm going to receive training. Uh, those words in, in the Greek here are almost interchangeable. This discipline and training I know one feels nicer to us. Uh, the word discipline is this word pedia. It, it, it is, in a sense, from one of the dictionaries I found on this Greek word, it's like this form of punishment used for the improving of behavior. You're like, ooh, I don't, I don't know if I really enjoy that. And especially when it starts talking about fatherly discipline. We have to remember this is this idea of an earthly father and a heavenly father. He pits them together in this say. He's saying like many of you have earthly fathers who disciplined you because they loved you. They did it for a certain time because it felt good to them. God in his perfection as a holy father, as a good father, disciplines you in like manner but in a perfect way. For you and I, we all experience imperfect fathers. And some of you maybe are having even situations or flashbacks to a time when you experience hardship from a parent, difficulty, unjust punishment on your behalf. And so you're, you're, it's hard to kind of wade through and navigate through those waters of this time when the, the punishment maybe didn't fit the crime, you could say. But here we, we have to recognize we're, we're believing here and understanding this concept of a heavenly father who, no, we are not a, a criminal transgressor anymore because we're in the, the family of God. But even in, as part of the family of God, you are going to be treated like one of his children and he is going to mature you and grow you and he does that in a variety of ways and one of the ways he does it is through difficulty. It is through this time of learning to endure through hardship. And, and you know, maybe you've, you've said this phrase as a parent, you've heard it said, right? This is going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me, right? And you're like, I don't think so, right? But now as a parent, you know any form of discipline, whatever it is. I'm not getting into forms of discipline today. The point is, any form of discipline you put on a child, you recognize the hardship and the travail in your own heart as a parent that goes through that. You, you kind of would rather just ignore it and avoid it and just let the child do as they please, but you know that's not loving for that child. That doesn't grow that child and mature that child. In fact, in the long run, it may end up hurting that child more than it does for you. This idea of punishment or discipline, there is a difference here in this concept is God punishing me or is he disciplining me? And maybe at times it might be even hard to tell. Is it because of my sin that I find myself in this situation or it is because in God's providence he has allowed me to go through the situation so that I might be strengthened? I don't always have the right answer. I'm not always sure what that answer is. But I can trust my father knows and I can trust that he's a good father. And so in parenting this comes up a lot. I think that is a way of thinking it through. In parenting my own kids, it's, it's like that. 
Even in coaching, it is like this, maybe in sports, and I can use a sports analogy because the author here uses sports analogies, right? Running and all that. But, but in, even in coaching, if you were to show up, when I coach soccer, or I've coached basketball, if you were to show up at one of my uh, sessions or practices, you, you might at times have trouble determining between when I'm simply training the, the players or when they're receiving a certain amount of punishment, right, for doing something wrong. There, those can be gray lines, as it can be. And it, you, you make them run laps. You make them do push-ups. You, at the very beginning, often you, you, you force them to do a, a great amount of conditioning. And the first couple of weeks of any sports practice often has to do with a lot of just plain old conditioning. It ain't fun, but if you're willing to push through the conditioning, you receive the awards of playing on the team. And yet often you'll have many people drop out at the beginning because they don't want to push through the difficulty in the beginning. Not gonna endure that pain. I remember even just a, a coach that I had, and I've done it to my own players, if when um, you're, doing t you're, you're doing shooting practice for, for soccer, and if, if you miss the target, if you sky that ball over the goal like a field goal, you're playing soccer. If it's not on target, and you're all playing this game of shooting on target, if you hit it over the goal, you run a lap, right? You run a lap, and so then all of a sudden in the drill, everyone's like taking little dinky shots so they don't have to do it. So then if you take a dinky shot, you run a lap, right? And I love that. It's a power trip for coaches, right? Blow the whistle, take a lap, kid, right? And you just love, I mean, coaches are admitting this. They, we enjoy that power, right? And so take a lap. Or I used to play a game called touch a post. If you were anywhere on the field, no matter what you were, you had to touch a goal post. And so that meant running to a goal wherever you were, touching that post and getting back within a certain amount of time. Like that is a form of punishment, form of discipline, but it's strengthening them. If I didn't do any conditioning, if I only did the things the students or the players wanted to do, you wouldn't get anywhere. The team would be out of shape. You would be weak. You would have no endurance. James 1 tells us that you know the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete and lacking in nothing. Don't give up when it gets tough. Push through it. Remember, this difficulty is good for me. And while we're in the thick of it, trust God who works in the process to produce fruit. This is kind of towards the tail end of the sermon here, this third point where as we endure all of that, as we're running the race, we must remember the effectual purpose of this. The, the process of the training and the discipline produces fruit. We find this in verse 11. It will yield peaceful fruit if you endure. Trust the process. Maybe you've heard that in sports. Hey, just trust the process. I know we're bad now. We'll be better in the future. Trust the process, right? This discipline, this, this hardship, it will produce holiness within us. In fact, verse 10 says we begin to share in his holiness. It is the goal of holiness, of Christ-likeness. It is a conformity to the character of God, as Jerry Bridges, Bridges says. It is sharing in holiness. It is in verse 14. We also see we are striving for holiness. It is because Christ is holy and he has declared us holy in his righteousness that we are pursuing holiness in our life and he empowers us in this race. This is the Christian life. It's a process. We are human beings. We, we have limits. There is aspects where we need sleep and we need food. We feel pain. We get emotional, Right? This is the way that God has made us. We embrace our creatureliness because we are not creator. And we embrace the fact that God has made us to work through processes. 
That he works through a process. This is how he's laid out even in, uh, in the world. That he, you plant a seed and in a process it becomes a tree. It doesn't happen overnight. We have need of endurance in the middle of this process. Kelly Capick, an author I've been reading, he's just been super helpful to me. I want to read a, 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 a thing that I feel like helps and speaks into this process and the race of running as he's speaking about here, and it says, God's highest value is not efficiency. I need that in my own heart. <laughs> I just want things to be done and on time, right, you know? His highest value is not efficiency, especially considering any simple or mechanistic sense. It is rather love. He is more interested in beauty than the speed of process. He, uh, he, he is... He is more concerned to lift our gaze, to provoke us to song for worship, to stimulate our imagination than he is just to get things done. God is not just wasteful or negligent though, but he's purposeful and wise and patient and intentional in the way he works. He says this, wouldn't, wouldn't it have been much more efficient for God to create an entire world in a single, de- in a single color? Everything just one color, and we wouldn't need all this other extra aesthetic waste of time. What if everything God made was just gray or different blacks and whites, just all different of that manner? Rather, love, beauty, and worship are his main goals. Sometimes he's astonishingly efficient in his work, overnight, instantaneous, but he can turn water into wine. He can make a dead person rise, and yet often, because he is compelled by love rather than mere production, he takes slower roots. Exodus normally takes time, calling for faith and growth. Process has always been his normal pattern. One of the most efficient things you can ever do, inefficient things you can ever do is love someone else, even an animal or a puppy. Loving another creature requires engagement, response, and patience in the process. Process is how God works. He works in the process like a gospel seed, it says, is planted. It grows into a tree that will eventually produce fruit. We want, often I want to be mature and grow into an oak tree overnight. It isn't always that way. Not always the way that God works. He ushers in this sanctifying work of the Spirit to allow us to grow, to share in more and more of His holiness. 2 Corinthians 3 says we're being transformed into the same image of one degree of glory into another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Philippians 3.12, it is not that I've already obtained all of this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has already made me his own. It is in that positional justification and understanding of my place and identity in the family of God that allows me to strive for what he wants me to be in the future and what I am becoming. And so we strive for holiness. It says in verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And then he uses an illustration. As we are striving for this uh, Christ-like character in our lives to grow up in him, we, we recognize that he uses this foil character, kind of this opposite character to everyone he's listed previously. Remember Hebrews 11? All these amazing men and women listed one after another, and then here at the end of Hebrews 12, he, he gives us a, a, a character that's found in, here in um, verse 15 and 16 and 17. He, he mentions this person of Esau. I found it kind of strange at first, but it's Esau. Like, why, why Esau? Of all the different people, he talks about this root of bitterness that will come up, and then in verse 16, he talks about this idea of, of Esau. For no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. 
I, that story's always boggled my mind as I read it. You know, like, really, you were that hungry? You know, and then you've been in that moment when you were that hungry and you were willing to do whatever it did to satisfy that hunger. There was a craving, there was a hardship, there was a suffering, there was a, a lack, there was a desire, and Esau submitted to it. Esau gave into it. And then it is as if he took the blessing of God and he despised it. He took the, the gift of God and he threw it aside for a bowl of soup. It's, it's, a, it's a parallel. It's a, it's a picture for your life in some sense. You're taking the blessing of God, the grace of God in your life, and you're, and you're, th- you're throwing it. As, you're going to quit now? D- don't quit now for a bowl of soup. That, that temptation is there. Don't give in now. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's the beautiful picture of what that is meant to be, uh, that faithful perseverance over a lifetime, the power of the Spirit that enables you to say no to the desires of the flesh, that concept of saying no to that bowl of porridge. A simple thing, a silly thing even of sorts, but an aspect of living for God. It, this, it's beautiful. It's a picture that just allows us to see that. And there's more there that we don't have time to get into with Esau. But I want us to consider the process Again, another quote that I wanna share with you, just again, helpful to encapsulate this as we bring this to a close. God isn't in a rush. He doesn't need to be. He's God after all, and for some reason, we tend to associate God's good work with only finished products and projects. But that's not always what we find. Many of us have difficulty valuing the process, tedious practice, significance of slow growth, the faithful attendance, the beauty of development are easily rejected in the culture of rapid download speeds and instant gratification. Speed, 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 production, production, production. That's the world we live in today. And so with similar impatience, we often wonder why doesn't God just instantly change us and take us home? Rather, he's chosen to leave us here. (laughs) You have a job to do. You have work to be done. His spirit will work in you until one day he does call you home. And so it's in this manner, it's in this way that we trust the process, we we press into him, we draw near to him, and he will draw near to us, this picture of pressing into Jesus. And then we have to recognize that that it is part of who we are, and it's part of the process, it's part of the way that God's designed the world to work. And you can even think in a sense, is, is God frustrated with you in this process? You're his child. Is he angry with you all the time because you're learning to walk? Because you're growing up in him? I think it's a just question. How do you view God in this situation? How do you view God in your daily walk in Christ and your daily desire to run the race? How do we view him in our journey? If you can think, is God constantly frustrated with you every day you wake up because you can't get your act together? Is that the way we view God? I don't think from this passage is what we see in that manner. My little son Judson, he's one. He's learning to walk, (laughs) literally. The last week or two, he's starting to take steps, more and more steps every day. He's getting a little bit more confident each and every day. But do I get frustrated with him (laughs) when he doesn't walk like everybody else? (laughs) Come on, man, get up, walk, let's go. No, he's one year old. He's learning. My daughter Taylor, she, when she gets tired in the end of the day, watch out, right? She's four years old. Her self-control is still being molded, right? As is his mine, right? But, but, but she's four years old, and do I get frustrated with her? Yes, there are times I certainly do. But I have to remember, she's four years old, not 40. 
She is growing to learn to control her self-control, this aspect of self-discipline, and I have to help her as a parent to guide her in that. As my job, and, and then I pray the Spirit would work in her and to mold her into Christ. My daughter Charlie is sick. She's learning to read. Do I get frustrated with her when she has to sound out every little vowel in, you know, skip will run or dog will run, right? It's like, it's dog, okay, just read it. No, do I get frustrated? No, she's learning to read. She's six. So what is my attitude towards them? My attitude is I love them. Christ's attitude, God's attitude towards you is love, and yet he disciplines the ones he loves. There will be times when it doesn't always feel like love. Will you be disciplined? Will you go through hardship and difficulty? Yes, you will. Does God love you through it? Yes, he does. Is he angry with you all the time? Frustrated that you're just still learning to grow and to trust him and build your faith? No. He loves, I think, every aspect of the process. I think it's very important we consider that. The enduring faith, that we consider it great joy when we experience various trials because we know that the testing of our faith produces endurance and the endurance when it has full effect that we will be mature and complete lacking in nothing. We press into him and trust him in this and we don't give up and that's exactly what we're closing with. Verse 12, verse 13, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, because blessed is the person who endures trials because when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Press on, don't give up, don't quit now. Your drooping hands when you're on a run and your arms are tired and your legs are tired, strengthen them, picking them up, keep running. Strengthen those weak knees. Don't give up and sit down and turn around now. And then he says, make straight the paths of your feet. Don't veer off the path and run onto rough terrain. You'll dislocate an ankle, he's saying. Rather, stay on the path that is straight. You could say the path that is righteous and you will find healing versus this dislocation and this aspect of brokenness that you'll find along, strewn along the side. Run with endurance. Embrace the process. Strive for holiness. I think this is ultimately the picture that I even find from Jesus. You know, he, he speaks about the kingdom of God. It, it, yes, it is this explosion of power, and yet we also find him alluding to that the kingdom of God is, is like a parable that he shares in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is, is like a mustard seed that, that a man took and he, and he sowed in a field, planted that little dinky, tiny little mustard seed the smallest of all seeds, he says, but when it grows up, it's taller than the garden of plants and becomes a tree. The birds of the sky will come and nest in its branches. You see, the, the pain of the process of that seed dying and bearing forth in life, new life, as alluded to in 1 Corinthians, the death and resurrection that we have, the old man and the new man, that life that births forward into a seed and, and comes and grows into a mighty tree. We see that here in Hebrews 12, 11. For the moment, that it feels painful. You could even say it feels slow. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When we endure, when we embrace the process of sanctification and the power of the Holy Spirit over a lifetime and a journey of faith, when we don't give up, when we don't compare ourselves in these ways, we, we find that we endure by faith by looking to Jesus. By faith, our testing will produce the fruit of righteousness whereby other people are blessed, whereby others can come and nest in the branches, why the fruit of the 
the spirit of goodness and gentleness will be given out and the world will be blessed when you endure in faith by the strengthening of your faith through Jesus and through the suffering that he places us in as a loving father guides us in the process of growing up in him. Maturity. This is holiness. And I, I think as we close, even the song we're closing I think was fitting. I didn't ask them to sing this song. We're gonna sing Build uh, My Life. And, and I find just a phrase where it says, build my life on your love. It's a firm foundation, something that is, will stand. It is something I can rely on. I can, and then he says, I will put my trust in you and I will not be shaken. Our knees maybe feel like they're shaking and weak at times. But we stand on a foundation that is firm and we can put our trust and our faith in that foundation and we can run with endurance the race that is set before us. We can look to Jesus. And that is what we find as he works in our life because we will inherit as it says later on. And maybe some of you have done that. You've started reading ahead in chapter 12. Because it says, therefore, we will be grateful in verse 28 of receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. <laughs> Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. We live and we receive and we accept a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It will not fall down. Therefore, don't give up. Don't turn back. Look to Jesus and run. Receive the kingdom that won't be shaken. It's firm. You can put your trust in it and it's something you can build your entire life on. Look to Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Father, we, we thank you for these truths and we ask God that you'd give us wisdom to understand them. But we ask that you would give us power to trust you, to see that your, our faith, though it might feel small, is great in your eyes. For Lord, with us, many things are impossible, but with you, all things are possible. May our faith teach us to love you and to pursue you more. God, we need you in all these things. In every aspect of life, work in us today. Give us faith and strength to run the race. We love you. We thank you for the Easter and all it means, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the power and the victory that we have, the, the excitement and the happiness that fills us. Lord, give us that faithful endurance to trust and believe in that each and every day. Thank you, God, that we can build our lives on you. Thank you, God, for all that you've done and for this church. May you bless it. In Jesus' name, amen.